Listen all month as ReachMD XM157 explores The Great Debate, a special series discussing the future of public health policy in America. How might medical practice change to avoid the current state of fragmented care? Welcome to our special series on public health policy. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, author of You Can Think Like a Psychiatrist, your host, and with me today is Dr. Stephen Shortell. Dr. Shortell is the Blue Cross of California Distinguished Professor of Health Policy and Management and Professor of Organization Behavior at the School of Public Health and Haas School of Business at the University of California at Berkeley. He is also the Dean of the School of Public Health at Berkeley. Welcome to ReachMD. Thank you. Happy to be here. Oh, thanks so much. It's an honor to have you on our program today. And I was reading some of your writings, and you recently said that the practice of medicine is a 19th century craft trying to deliver 21st century technology. Tell us more about that. Sure. The organization of medical practice has not really kept pace with the scientific and technological advances in medicine now with our young physicians are exposed to, and they have all of these new tools and of diagnosis and treatment, new therapies and new drugs available, and yet they basically are going out into a delivery system that looks much like it was in the 19th century, unfortunately. And what we mean by that is most physicians still practice in solo practices or two-person partnerships or some very small groups. In fact, it's estimated that about 89% of all office-based physicians are practicing in settings of 10 doctors or, or less. And the challenge that poses as we go forward is very difficult to keep abreast of the explosion in medical knowledge, to really uh, incorporate electronic medical records into practices when they're that small, to put together teams of healthcare professionals to take care of and manage uh, chronic illness over time with patients and and to produce the kind of data that's going to be needed to qualify for increased payment under pay-for-result programs and so on. So there's a big gap, if you will, or a disconnect between the technological advances and, if you will, the practice setting advances or the delivery system itself that we need to address. Yeah, I was surprised to hear that. It seemed like the bigger groups get a lot of the attention, that the numbers were still focused on smaller groups like that. How do you see that changing, or, or how can we change this old, entrenched system? We have some thoughts on that, Dr. Lunt, that we call uh, accountable care systems, an idea we've developed that will enable physicians to participate in different forms of practice, even though they may still be in solo or small partnership practice. And what accountable care systems are are simply entities that can do two things. One, they can improve the quality of care and control the cost of care. And secondly, they can be held accountable for results. And we have a lot of different models that physicians might be interested in, particularly primary care physicians. One is the large multi-specialty group practice, and that's the Kaisers of the world and the Mayos of the world and so on. And that's clearly not for everyone and uh, will not necessarily spread broadly across the country. But there are also other models, and one is uh, the hospital medical staff organization. It's where a lot of physicians do congregate, and that could be an umbrella organization that, in effect, provides individual doctors with the electronic medical record capability, the ability to aggregate data, to participate and pay for performance, and so on. Another possibility we call the physician hospital organization, or PHO, which has been around for quite a while, but we envision these to really 
have cost and quality criteria by which physicians would be screened to join these organizations. They would be a subset of the medical staff, and they would be the organization that then provides some of the support for physicians to be able to produce quality data, to have uh, disease management programs, and so forth. Another model we call the interdependent physician organization. It's also, we refer to it as an IPO, or rather than an IPA. An IPA, as you know, is an independent practice association. The IPO, the difference is they would actually have a physician leader in charge and a governing body that would help doctors in solo practice and small partnerships be able to aggregate their data on patients, to feed it back on patients, to implement disease management programs, the chronic care model of caring for patients, and so on. So they would provide some of the support that individual doctors could not provide on their own. And still another model would be where a health plan in a given area would perform a similar kind of function with a group of physician providers or a network. And our point is you need to give choice. Uh, Just as patients want choice, physicians want choice, and there's different ways that potentially this could be achieved and still stay in solo practice in terms of the one-on-one encounter with one's patients. But there needs to be some kind of umbrella organization that can provide these other functions that physicians are going to need to have. Well, as a physician that is still stuck in the 19th century myself, I'm solo practice, all of these things, frankly, are scary to me that one of the reasons I went into medicine was to be on my own and to have my own practice. What advantage would these sorts of organizations have to me? The main advantage, I think, is the ability to provide care that is state-of-the-art in terms of the information capability the ability to coordinate care for your chronic illness patients when, in fact, they go from the hospital to the nursing home to the home health agency and maybe back to your office again. And an example, I had a next-door neighbor a few years ago when I was living in the Midwest. Her name was Dorothy Johnson, as it turns out, and she was about 70 years old, and she had a cold that developed into bronchial pneumonia that became very, very acute, bronchitis and so on, was hospitalized and touched all points of the system, went into a home health agency, was in a nursing home for a while, finally came back home. And she tells the story of uh, the visiting nurse, the home health nurse that came to see her and says, Mrs. Johnson, are you allergic to anything? And Mrs. Johnson just really lost her temper and said, am I allergic to anything? Don't you people know anything? I've told you a dozen times I'm allergic to sulfur, I think it was. Mm. And the nurse was quite taken aback and said, well, in terms of quality, we're supposed to ask you that question. We're supposed to just make sure what medications you're on and what you're allergic to and so forth. To which Mrs. Johnson replied, well, why don't you say something like, Mrs. Johnson, I see here that you're allergic to sulfur. Is that right? you know, and give me some idea that you doctors talk to one another. She said, I told my primary doctor this. I told the hospital doctor this. When I was discharged, it was on my record I'm allergic to sulfur. And now you come in here, I'm being asked for the 13th time, (laughs) what am I allergic to? You know, are are you allergic to anything? So my point simply being in terms of the continuity of care, particularly for chronically ill patients, you need a system of care, not just an individual doctor. And so these are some of the advantages. And another advantage is the ability to compete for performance bonuses and rewards that are coming down the pike from CMS, from Medicare, as well as private programs that are going to start 
rewarding doctors differentially based on the quality and cost of care provided. And so it's going to be very difficult for a solo practitioner in their own right to be able to compete for some of that without the ability to provide the needed data to even be eligible. So these are some of the potential advantages for those in solo practice. If you're just joining the discussion, you're listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I am Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is the Dean of the School of Public Health at Cal Berkeley, Dr. Stephen Shortell. We're discussing accountable care systems. Dr. Shortell, is there some common denominator among all these entities? I think of groups like Kaiser as being so completely different from the IPOs that you mentioned. There are, and many of them were developed by the Institute of Medicine about three or four years ago in its report on crossing the quality chasm. It's a 2001 report out of uh, Washington, D.C., and there's six or seven of them, Dr. Lunt. One is the ability to simply redesign how care is provided to patients. Much of it centers on the chronic care model developed mostly by Dr. Ed Widener up at Group Health Cooperative in, in Seattle, Washington. And that model simply says that you need to have in place things like disease registries, so you know in advance who your diabetic patients are, when their last visit was, uh, what their blood sugar levels are, et cetera, et cetera. You need to have an electronic medical record or an access to that kind of information so that you can send out reminders and things of that sort and get feedback on how well your patients are doing. You need to have patient self-management programs because much of chronic illness, as you know, is really patients managing their own illness in between visits. Mm -hmm. It's the in-between visit care that's more important often than the visit itself. And so that's a component. So one of the capabilities, the common thing, is to have uh, components of this chronic care management in place. Another is the importance of using information technology effectively. And the big thing here is staff training. Most doctors have found, and we've worked with them in the field, that when you introduce the electronic record, it really reduces productivity. It's not easily introduced. It reduces it productivity. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah. That's in the scary. short run, it does. Okay. This is hard to get through sometimes. After six months, and people have been trained, the staff have been trained, you can get some real productivity gains. But for a while, it can be very disruptive. So that's a challenge. There is also the ability to make the recent findings on drug interaction effects and new medical knowledge and so forth available to the physician practice. And we call this capability managing clinical knowledge. Another one is the ability to work in teams. And there's increasing evidence now that healthcare teams that work well actually make more changes to improve care for the chronically ill and more important changes that help these patients with their lipids and so on. There's studies that have been done to indicate the importance of teams. A couple other capabilities are just the ability to share information across sites. As we were talking about uh, Mrs. Johnson earlier, to have that information uh, go with the patients uh, across sites. And finally, as I've indicated earlier, the ability to aggregate data for performance and outcome measurement to qualify for some of these rewards that health plans and Medicare are beginning to, to talk about. So those are some of the commonalities in, in these systems. And I might add, certainly not so frightening to us solo practitioners. I mean, that all makes good sense clinically. Right, exactly. Now, over what kind of time frame do you think this might happen? It's a huge undertaking. It is a huge undertaking, and, and I think we're looking at many years. This is going to evolve over time, and it's a, 
a function of two sets of factors. One are the incentives for this to come about, and secondly is what we call uh, the capabilities to do it. Incentives alone aren't enough. And by incentives, I don't even necessarily restrict it to financial incentives, although those are important, but also public reporting. Thank you so much for being on our show today. Thank you. I enjoyed it. We've been talking with Dr. Stephen Shortell of University of California at Berkeley, and he's telling us about accountable care systems and the future. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to a special series on public health policy on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your comments and questions. Please visit us at ReachMD.com. Our new on-demand and podcast features will allow you to access our entire program library. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to ReachMD XM157 and The Great Debate, a month-long special series and discussion on the future of public health policy in America.